having prayed that prayer in song, that the Holy Spirit would breathe new life into our living souls, having prayed that prayer, we don't then just sit back and wait to feel Holy Spirit-infused feelings. No, after we pray that prayer, then we turn to the Word. Why? Because it's by means of the Word that the Holy Spirit blesses us in just that way. We're, we're looking to the Spirit to breathe new life into our willing souls. Well, it's when we turn to the Word and learn of God and learn of Christ and learn of the Christian life to which we're called that the Spirit blesses us, opens our eyes, stirs our hearts, strengthens our, our hands for service. That's how the Holy Spirit breathes new life into our souls. And so it is that we turn to the Word of God now. You can see in your bulletin that we're turning to Philippians chapter 3. Our sermon series lately is called The Habits of Grace. This life that we're called to live as Christians, it is a life about experiencing the grace of God. And as we've been considering Sunday after Sunday, we do experience that grace in part as God smiles upon our own habitual, our own regular efforts to seek and serve him, thus the habits of grace. And remember, last Sunday, what we started to talk about was the important habit of being regularly in our Bibles throughout the week. And remember, one of the reasons why that's so important, and this is what we focused on last week, is that that's one of the ways that we are armed for spiritual conflict. So last week we turned to Ephesians 6. Remember what Paul says there. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians 6. We ought to be devoted to the word like that. The habit of being regularly in our Bibles throughout the week is one of the ways we're armed for spiritual conflict. So that was last Sunday. Ephesians 6. And as I mentioned last Sunday... I want to keep going with this theme this Sunday. I want us to explore a little bit more deeply this important habit of being regularly in God's Word. It's fair to say that last week we already started to answer the question, why? Why is it that that's so important? Why do we need to be regularly in our Bibles? But that's a question that's worth probing a bit more Deeply, why do we need to be in our Bibles on a regular basis? I think we all have a sense that it's got to be more than just a matter of checking a box every day. It's got to be more than just, well, I spent time in my Bible today so I can say that I did in case anyone asks. Or so I can feel better about myself as a Christian. So we get that. It can't just be that. It's got to be more than that. But what is that more? Why do we need to be in our Bibles on a regular basis? And I love the word why here. Little word, three-letter word, 
But here, it's huge. The word why. Because to answer the question, why do we need to be in our Bibles on a regular basis? To answer that question with some fullness, well, it's sweeping. It's past and present and future. Think about it. The little word why in this case. Why should we read our Bibles? Well, first, it covers what we see when we look back in the past and we see how God has loved us, which drives us. And then second, it also covers what we're hoping to experience in the present as we are reading the Bible. In other words, what we're hoping to get out of it. And then third, it also covers what we're looking forward to as those who then get up from our Bibles and press on into the future. All three of those. What we see when we look back, and we see how God has loved us. What we're looking for in the Bible, in the present, as we're reading it. And what we're looking forward to as those who take the word with us and press on into the future. All three of those, past, present, and future. Well, Philippians 3, the way that the Apostle Paul talks about his own Christian life here in Philippians 3, it covers all of that, past and present and future. Now, to be sure, this is not a passage that's primarily about being devoted to the Word of God, which is our theme today. We can admit that. This is not a passage that's explicitly about being regularly in our Bibles. It certainly isn't. But still... The way that Paul talks about his own Christian life in this passage, it is such a helpful framework for us for thinking about our own regular Bible reading. So it's a good place for us to go when it comes to this particular habit of the Christian life that we're seeking to reinforce. So let me read for us then Philippians 3. You can see in your bulletin I'm going to read verses 1 down through 14. So listen now to God's word. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is the word of God given through the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for it because we are ever mindful of how much we need it. Needful of the light that shines brightly from it to guide our way in a dark world. Indeed, to illumine our own hearts and minds. And so we pray that you would do that now. Would you grant us eyes to behold this light that we might rise up and walk by it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I realize that it can seem somewhat quaint here in the year 2023 to hearken back to the days when young people in love would write letters back and forth to each other. Pen and paper, imagine that. But there was a day, and I suppose that even today, even in in 2023, with our 2023 forms of communication, there's still something like it in relationships. But but think for a moment about the phenomenon that was the good old-fashioned love letter. Why, why, why? All three of them are sermon title today. Why, why, why was that young man so excited to get that letter from that young woman. Why was he so eager to open the envelope and then get reading and then keep rereading and then keep all the letters? Well, as I've been saying this morning, we can put it in terms of past and present and future because this is a a helpful model for us here, I think. First of all, the past. These two young people have a history. He already knows that she loves him. And so he comes to her letter already bringing with him that that persuasion, that contentment, that rest, because of the relationship they've already had, so that he is persuaded of her love. And then the present, he pours over that letter, and he reads it, and he rereads it. And he practically memorizes it. Why? Because he wants to know her better now. And he knows that it's in the reading of the letter that that will happen. Every detail in the letter, she's revealing more of herself for him to know, and he prizes that in the present. And then, sure enough, we can keep going, the future. When he's done reading the letter, We might say that, in a sense, he's going to take it with him. The relationship is going to continue into the future. 
The relationship is going to grow going forward. Well, this letter is going to help him to press on and love her back, including writing her back. It's past and present and future. And as I've been saying, that's a picture of how we relate to God. And more particularly today, it's a picture of how we relate to the word of God. The past... We read it because we we already know that he loves us. There's that history. The present, we read it because we want to get to know him better now. In the future, we read it because it's going to help us to rise up and press on. Each and every one of those is a different way of describing our motivation for reaching for our Bibles and reading the Word of God. Our threefold meditation, motivation. And all three of those dimensions of the Christian life are right here in Philippians 3. So let's notice them in order. First of all, the past. Early on in this chapter, Paul himself looks back. He looks back on his own personal past. And when he does that, what does he see? Well, what he sees is that there was a time when he prized above all and when he trusted in So many natural things that were true of him. Look at verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he mentions them. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's what Paul sees. When he looks back and remembers his own personal past, all of these things that he used to prize above all, all of these things about him, these natural traits and these quote-unquote achievements that he used to trust in. But then thankfully he can go on to say, that's not where I am anymore. He can say, that's not who I am anymore. Thankfully, Paul can go on to say, I've learned not to trust in these traits and achievements, not to trust in my own good works to get me right with God. Because what does he go on to say? Verse 8. He says, For Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then notice what he says next. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What Paul is teaching there in those precious words, what he's teaching there in so many words, is the doctrine, the Bible doctrine of justification by faith alone. And remember, what is that doctrine? What is that Bible truth? It's the truth that God the judge pronounces us forgiven and acceptable in his sight because of Christ's record of atonement and righteousness, which is counted as our own because we trust in him. That is one of the sweetest doctrines of the whole of the Bible. God the judge pronounces us forgiven and acceptable in his sight because of the record of Christ's atonement and righteousness counted as our own because we've come to trust in him. 
And to drive the point home, to make it even clearer, we are not justified. We can put it negatively. We are not justified because of our own good works. It's not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive. We receive it as a free gift. We're going to say so later in our service when we sing together. When we sing hymn 456, which is called, By Grace I'm Saved, Grace Free and Boundless. And so we will sing together, By Grace I'm Saved, Grace Free and Boundless. My soul believe and doubt it not. By grace, none dare lay claim to merit. Our works and conduct have no worth. God in his love sent our Redeemer, Christ Jesus, to this sinful earth. His death did for our sins atone, and we are saved by grace alone. And that's what Paul is saying here about his own experience. As he describes his own radical before and after, he's saying, I came round to that realization that I couldn't trust in my own good works to get me right with God. I had to trust in, and I have come to trust in, Christ's righteousness instead. Now, as I've said before, this isn't a passage that's about regular Bible reading. But still, what Paul says here, our first point about the past, about salvation, this is hugely important when it comes to our habits of regular Bible reading. Even if you've heard it a thousand times, well, let's make it a thousand and one. You are not justified by your good works, including the very good work that is your regular Bible reading. Let's make it a thousand and two. You are not justified by your good works, including the good work that is your regular Bible reading. The reason you reach for your Bible again and again is not to pile up credits with God in order to get in his good graces. So so there's a whole lot of why in this sermon. Think of this as the not why that needs to be ruled out. You don't reach for your Bible over and over to pile up credits with God so as to get in his good graces. And you know, it is very easy for us as Christians to lapse into that prideful mindset. We do our daily devotions, and the next thing you know, we're patting ourselves on the back for being so worthy. And and perhaps you know this from your own experience. There is something, there's something about having your daily quiet time, or whatever you want to call it, that lends itself to that kind of prideful, sinful, checking of the boxes, perhaps because we know deep down that it is an important habit. And we end up saying, what a fine evangelical fellow I am, that I just spent time with God. And we end up relying upon that as the basis for our confidence before God to get us through the rest of the day. So just remember, when you reach for your Bible. You're reaching for it because God has already wrapped his loving arms around you. And he did so not because you were worthy of it. God has already pronounced you forgiven and acceptable in his sight thanks to the atonement and righteousness of Jesus which you have received by faith. And it's persuaded of that that you reach for his word. That's motivation number one today. 
right? Growing out of the past, how God has rescued us already. So that's the first. That's the past. That brings us then to the second, which is the present. Why, why, why do we reach for our Bibles now? What is it that we're hoping to get out of it as we're reading it? What are we looking for in it? whenever we crack it open and start turning the pages and reading. Well, notice in this passage, what is Paul's one consuming passion? Now that he's a Christian, it's knowing Jesus. That's his main thing now. Look at verse 8. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Paul, that is now the surpassingly worthy thing, to know Christ. He goes on, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order, skipping down to verse 10, in order that I may know him. You see, that now is Paul's one consuming passion. Now that he's a Christian, he wants to know Christ and he is willing to repudiate anything and everything that would get in the way of that. He wants to know Christ. And you see, this touches down too in your own regular Bible reading. When you reach for your Bible, let that be your goal, your desire, your passion. You're going to the Word because you want to know Jesus better. It's a relationship. It's not just a matter of learning Bible passages and doctrines. It is a matter of learning passages and doctrines in order that you may know Christ better who's revealed in them. It's a relationship. Think of it this way. When you're spending time in the Bible, it's as if Jesus is sitting there spending that time with you. By his Spirit, blessing the Word. It's relationship. It's communion. It's spending time with your Savior in such a way as to know him better. Let that be your goal, your desire, your passion. Even when you're roaming far and wide in the Bible, And you're learning about all sorts of passages and doctrines. It's a big book. There's a lot in it. Still, let that be your focus, your center, your one thing at the center of it all. It's all about knowing Jesus. But then we also have to say this. And here's the wake-up call when it comes to our point two, right? Knowing Christ in the present. Notice what Paul says about knowing Christ. Notice how he unpacks it. Because it goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So you pick up on that. That I may share his sufferings. You want to know Christ? course you do. But guess what? There's only one Christ whom you can get to know. There's only one Jesus who actually is. And the only Jesus who is, the only Christ who's available to you to know, he's a Christ who suffered. 
and who calls you as a Christian to take up your cross and follow him. Jesus' whole pattern was down into death and then up into resurrection. Jesus' whole pattern was down into humiliation, giving way to exaltation. Well then, Christian, you can expect that's going to be your pattern too. So what's the point? What does this have to do with your daily Bible reading? The point is, even in your Bible reading, you can expect that there's going to be suffering as well as glory. We might not often think about it in those terms, this daily habit, but it's true. To put it plainly, you can expect that establishing and maintaining a habit of regular Bible reading isn't going to be easy. Of course it's not. There's going to be some struggle in it. Of course there is. As well as great blessedness in it. Of course there's going to be that too. As a Christian, you've got enemies. And they are the world and the flesh and the devil. It's saints who are still sinners who are living in a fallen world who are called to read the Bible. It's not the saints in heaven. Well, then there's going to be some struggle in it for you living here. Several years ago, Paul Tripp wrote a book about marriage. And the thrust of the book is something like, making marriage work isn't easy. Of course it's not. That's one of the things that makes it glorious and rewarding. And the title of the book is, What Did You Expect? Double question mark. And I love that title and I love the punctuation. What did you expect? Question mark. Question mark. Well, we can say the same kind of thing here this morning about regular Bible reading. Being a regular Bible reader isn't altogether easy. Of course it's not. What did you expect? Question mark. Question mark. Sometimes it's hard simply because it takes energy and you're gassed. You're wiped. Reading the Bible the way you ought to takes physical and mental and spiritual energy that perhaps you seem to have run out of that day. Sometimes it's hard because the world and the flesh and the devil are pushing and pulling you away from the Bible and it's hard to push back. Sometimes it's hard because you've allowed your own sense of the importance of it to wane. And that fire has grown low. Sometimes it's hard because you do open your Bible, but then what you find there convicts you of your sin, and that stings. Or what you find there in the Bible doesn't seem to make sense. Or what you find there in the Bible makes perfect sense, and it challenges everything you thought you ever knew about God. There are a host of reasons. Being a regular Bible reader isn't altogether easy. Of course it's not. This is a fight. And that's because it's part of knowing Christ, and Christ suffered. And he calls you to take up your cross and follow him. Don't think that being a faithful Bible reader is going to be some kind of refuge from those realities. I'm not saying it's all gloom and doom. The main thing is that there's great blessedness here. There's richness here. There's glory. There's life here. But we just need to be realistic about what it's like to maintain a habit like this, given all of the things I just mentioned. Herman Bovink was a great uh, theologian of the late 
19th, early 20th centuries, Dutch theologian. And he has these amazing things to say about this book, the Bible that God has given us, and how, and how it is that we might find it to be a struggle as those who love and reach for this book so that we know Christ. Here's what Bavink says, quote, A Christian believes, not because everything in life reveals the love of God, but rather despite everything that raises doubt. In Scripture, too, there is much that raises doubt. All believers know from experience that this is true. Christians do, to a greater or lesser degree, know the hard struggle, both in head and heart, against Scripture. He says, throughout the whole domain of faith, there remain crosses that have to be overcome. There is no faith without struggle. To believe is to struggle, to struggle against the appearance of things. As long as people still believe in anything, their belief is challenged from all directions. There are intellectual problems in Scripture that cannot be ignored and that will probably never be resolved. This is one of the great theologians in the history of the Christian church admitting this about the Bible and about what we can expect as we go to it to know Christ. Finally, Bavink says this, those who do not want to eat before they understand the entire process by which food arrives at their table starve to death. And those who do not want to believe the word of God before they see their problems resolved will die of spiritual starvation. End quote. So that's why I say this is today's wake-up call. Don't be surprised when you find that establishing and maintaining a habit of regular Bible reading isn't going to be easy. Of course it's not. And so there's nothing wrong with you when you find that it's not. And like Bavink says, don't wait for it to feel altogether easy and tidy and all clear and cleaned up before you commit yourself to it. Because in this life, in this age, it never will be, and so you never will commit yourself to it. But here's the good news. Here's the counterpoint to the wake-up call. The same Christ who suffered, he also reigns. And he reigns for you. And he draws near to you. And he's the one you're spending time with. Remember, it's not just that he went down into suffering. It's also that then he was raised to glory. And he's seated in glory now for you and for me. And he's the one you're getting to know. And he loves the fact that you want to know him. He'll hold on to you. He'll hold on to you when you open your Bible and you draw near to him. So that's motivation number two. In the present, what we're seeking for is knowing Christ. And then briefly, here's the third. Here's where we pivot from past and present to future. Because Paul does too, here in Philippians 3 after he talks about what is his one consuming passion in the present, to know Christ, what does he go on to say? Look at verse 12. And by the way, it's printed there in your bulletin if it helps. Verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here, too, when Paul pivots from present to future, he is a single-minded man. He's got his eyes on the future, and he is singularly focused on getting to God in glory. He's got his eyes on the world above and the world to come. And one more time we can say this touches down when it comes to our habits of regular Bible reading. One more time we can ask the question, why? Why do I, do I read my Bible? Answer, because I want to get to glory. That's why. And seeking God in his word, even communing with God in the reading of his word, that's how I get there. That's the pathway that God himself has appointed for me to follow in order to get there. I reach for my Bible because I'm a child of heaven. And I'm on my way. And I want to make my way. For that matter, there's real comfort here. If you look back on your own Christian life in the past, and what you see is that you have not been the faithful Bible reader in the past that you should have been, and we can acknowledge that too. Here too, follow Paul's lead. What does he say? He says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. So maybe you haven't had a great track record in this department when it comes to regularly reading God's word. You know what? Forget it. Forget what lies behind. I don't mean literally block out the memory of it. Remember, Paul himself here, who says forgetting what lies behind, earlier on in this chapter, he went on at great length about what lay behind him in his own past. But I say forget it. Forget what lies behind in the sense that whatever you see when you look back in the past, including maybe not being a faithful Bible reader, that doesn't have to define who you are now moving forward. That doesn't have to be who you are now. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. Don't let your past shackle you now when it comes to your future. This is the pathway that God himself has appointed for you to follow in order to get to glory. I've wanted to share this quote with you for a while. A while back, Paul Balzerak shared this quote with us um, from a work from several centuries ago by Richard Steele because it has to do with this idea of the habits of grace and how God blesses our habitual seeking and serving him. Steele says this, quote, God will not carry us to heaven like stones without any sense or motion of our own, but instead requires us to show our esteem of his grace and favor by running, fighting, wrestling, and striving for it before he bestows it upon us, end quote. So God is gracious. God's the one who's going to get us to heaven. And how's he going to do that? How's, how's he going to get to glory? How am I going to get to God in glory? Well, he's given me his book, he's given me the writings. And when I turn there and find all that's to be found there, centrally knowing Christ in Scripture, 
By his spirit, he blesses me, strengthens me, so that I want to press on, so that I'm able to press on until one day, until one day I get there. That's motivation number three. So, brothers and sisters, we've posed three questions today, and the questions have been why and why and why should we regularly read our Bibles, past and present and future? Past, because God has loved us and saved us by his grace, motivation number one. Present, because we want to know Jesus in his sufferings and in his glory, and this is how that happens. The present, that's motivation number two. And the future, because this is how we press on until the end. That's motivation number three. So may it be true of us, may it be true of us as those who love and read the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you've given us the writings, that we might take them up and read. We look back and see Christ's work to rescue us and see that we are justified by faith alone. And so we open this book persuaded of your love. And then we open it seeking to know Christ in it. And we pray that you would satisfy that very desire that you've worked in our souls. Grant us to know Jesus as those who love the Bible and who find him there. And then we would rise up and press on, standing on the foundation of what we have seen, the foundation of what you have spoken. May it be so, and we thank you that this very day, the Sabbath day, is a means to that end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.